welcome back to Nitty Reads, a classic podcast for my mother. She read to me when I was little, so now I'm returning the favour and you're welcome to listen along. It's Thursday and that means I'm reading something offbeat. Sundays are for classics, but whatever I'm reading, it's always great writing. Tonight I'm reading a newspaper article by one of the Mitford sisters. Saturday, March 18, 1939. Please excuse the podcast title, but this is how she signed off her letters to her sisters, so I think you can see what side she was on. However, she was still a gifted writer, and I hope you stick around to hear her in her own words, because it is quite illuminating of a particular, and I think awful, mindset. So who were the Mitford sisters? Horrid, horrendous people, or so I thought. But it turns out, of the six of them, only two were really rotten. The Mitfords were an aristocratic English family. Father David, Lord Reedsdale, and Mother Sidney had seven kids. The six sisters and a son, Tom, who I'm leaving out of this podcast. The sisters were alphabetically Deborah, Diana, Jessica, Nancy, Pamela and Unity. They were all homeschooled for some reason, by nannies. Not like there wasn't enough money to send them off to boarding school. They lived in a few big houses in Oxfordshire. That's where beautiful Oxford University is and Blenheim Palace. The girls read a lot and spent a lot of time playing at farming and being together. It made them all great communicators. There was the occasionally short stint at a school for some of the sisters, but not enough to really take. They were very much of their own kind. They were each debutantes, had a coming-of-age ball when they were 18 or thereabouts. And there were 16 years between the eldest, Nancy, born 1904, and the youngest, Deborah, born 1920. The oldest three went to loads of parties, all very bright young things in the 1920s in their teens. There were a lot of gowns, lots of hairpins and hats. Father David didn't seem to like women very much. Well, I say that as my impression because he didn't want them in the House of Lords, and he didn't let his girls go off to school properly either. But he obviously didn't mind bringing women into the world, six daughters, and he adored his wife. So I think he probably did like women very much. He might just have been an old-fashioned, no-women-where-the-men-are kind of bloke. But Mother Sidney, well, she was a piece of work. Quite apart from having that many kids, which is a triumph, she also just loved Hitler. And it was catching. So here are the girls in a bit more detail, this time in chronological order. 1904, Nancy Mitford was born, the eldest. She's the funny one. Wrote lots of books, even wrote one making fun of her sisters Diana and Unity, because, well, we'll come to that shortly. 1907, Pamela Mitford is born. She's the clever one. Possibly gay, possibly not. Liked to farm. Didn't have a problem with either Diana or Unity. 1910, Diana Mitford is born. 
Here we go. She's the beautiful one. First, she became a Guinness, married into that super aristocracy. Then she left that fellow and married English fascist Oswald Mosley. With Hitler as a witness at their wedding, and the wedding actually happened at the house of Joseph Goebbels, Hitler's propagandist. Can you believe it? Well, brace yourselves, because next comes Unity. 1914, Unity Valkyrie Mitford is born. She's the lunatic, although she did get a bit of school, but not much. She fell head over heels in love with Adolf Hitler went to Germany, spent a load of time with the Fuhrer. Then Britain declared war on Nazi Germany, and sadly, she shot herself in the head and survived for about another 10 years. Wow. 1917, Jessica Lucy Mitford, commonly called Decker. She's born. She's the insufferable communist. She only picked Lenin because Unity picked Hitler. Wrote off Diana completely, but not Unity for some reason which makes no sense. 1920, Deborah Vivian Midford was born, the youngest, and ostensibly the nice one. But, well, she was very fond of Oswald Mosley, the British fascist, and she kept up with Diana with no problems whatsoever. I have two good buddies whose specialist subject is the Midford sisters, and I've always wondered why. This family of dopey toffs has always seemed to me to be just awful, but I think I now know why. Or at least partly why. Because the Midford sisters, all of them in their way, were great writers. In particular, great letter writers. There is a fabulous book called Letters Between Six Sisters that I can highly recommend. It came out in around 2007 and you can still get it. It's from that book that I learned about how nuts the Mitfords all were and how Unity Mitford liked to sign off her letters, Heil Hitler, love Bobo. But tonight I'm not reading a letter between the sisters. Instead, I'm reading a kind of letter from Unity Mitford to England. It is a page from the British newspaper The Daily Mirror, Saturday, March 18, 1939. This is about six months before Britain declared war on Nazi Germany, and it is a full page of the newspaper, titled, What Miss Mitford Would Like to See. Here is the subtitle and editor's note. The Daily Mirror opens this page today to Unity Mitford. Miss Mitford is a daughter of Lord Reedsdale and a personal friend of Hitler. She has been strongly criticised for her pro-German activities and views. Last year, she was attacked by a mob in Hyde Park. The Daily Mirror has given her a free hand to express her views today. Would she get the same freedom for unpopular views in Germany? We say no. Now, I acknowledge that no one can know the future, but I think it's fair to say that being British and on Hitler's side in March 1939, was crazy. How crazy? Here's Unity, in her own words. Let's begin. In 1935, the naval pact between Germany and England was signed, limiting Germany's naval power to 35% of that of Great Britain. 
The pact was an outward and visible sign that Germany never wished to go to war with England again. And yet, ever since, a ceaseless flood of propaganda has tried to persuade English people that Nazi Germany intends to attack England. What is the truth about Germany's intentions towards England? Hitler has often been called a dreamer. He was called a dreamer by his enemies in Germany, before he came to power, who laughed at him and said that his dreams could never come true. What they did not realise was that, as well as being a dreamer, Hitler was a realist, and that he only dreamed dreams whose fulfilment he knew to be possible, taking into account his genius for achieving the apparently impossible. Many of these apparently impossible dreams have already been realised. One that has not yet materialised is Anglo-German friendship and cooperation. The time will come when this dream also becomes reality. It is already shared by many, many Englishmen, in spite of intensive anti-German propaganda in this country. At the time, and on looking back since, Hitler realised the folly and impracticability of the Kaiser's pre-war policy of rivalry with England. By reason of her geographical and historical position, Germany is not so well suited as England to the role of a colonial power. Possession of overseas colonies necessitates a powerful navy, and Germany's strength has always lain in her land army, not in her navy. That Germany wishes the return of her former colonies is only natural. They were taken from her unjustly, and the claim for their return is a claim for justice. But every German knows that the future of the Reich lies not in a large overseas colonial empire, but in an entirely different direction, a direction in which there is no reason at all why she should come into conflict with British interests. Apart from these practical considerations, there is another and equally important side to the question. Those who believe that National Socialist Germany wishes to weaken England show a sad ignorance of Nazi ideology. And when discussing that ideology, one must remember that National Socialism is more to Germans than a political creed. It is a faith one of the foundations of Nazi ideology is the racial theory. Germans believe the Nordic race to be the greatest in the world, which indeed it is. They believe that the future of Europe stands or falls with the Nordic race, and they believe that enmity between the two great Nordic countries would mean its virtual suicide. Humanly speaking, friendship between England and Germany is the most natural thing in the world. English people visiting Germany generally feel absolutely at home and find that the Germans are very much like themselves, with the same interests and the same outlook on life. The English man or woman is always hospitably welcomed in Germany. And even during the September crisis, when it was touch and go whether the British government would take the sides with the Czechs against them, Germans never became unfriendly toward the English people though they were naturally puzzled at the attitude of England's rulers. Only recently, the former governor of Gibraltar said in a speech that he had seen English sailors fraternising with German sailors in a manner that would be impossible with sailors of any other nationality, 
If such friendly feelings can exist in the face of such intensive anti-German propaganda, how much more would they exist if that propaganda were to cease? The real interests of Britain and Germany do not clash. They are, as the British ambassador in Berlin said in a speech a few weeks ago, complementary to one another. For that reason, a close alliance between the two countries would be perfectly possible. And such an alliance would be a blessing for the whole world. With Germany, the greatest continental power, allied to Britain, the greatest colonial power, another world war would become an impossibility. The advantages to be gained on all sides by such a partnership are incalculable. The German army, the British navy and the two air forces combined would police the world and keep peace in our time. I can hardly do better than to end by quoting a passage from the Führer's speech to the Reichstag on January 30 of this year. Quote, I have stated over and over again that there is no German and above all no national socialist who even in his most secret thoughts has the intention of causing the British Empire any kind of difficulties. From England, too, the voices of men who think reasonably and calmly express a similar attitude with regard to Germany. It would be a blessing for the whole world if mutual confidence and cooperation could be established between the two peoples. End quote. That was Unity Mitford putting her very best Nazi foot forward. But the newspaper, of course, had the last word. On the page is an unattractive picture of Hitler, and the words in very large font. She, Unity Mitford, wants us to be friends with this man. The man who has just pounced on and ravished an innocent land. They are, of course, referring to Czechoslovakia. And here's what the newspaper also wrote. We don't agree with her. And the editor asks what you think. Well, Miss Unity Midford has had her say, and now we'd like to know what you think about it all. Can we trust in a real friendship with Germany? Remember, Hitler has once again broken his word of honour. Address your views to Hitler, care of the Daily Mirror. We will pay ten shillings sixpence for each letter printed. And that's where we'll leave it tonight. The elegant and politely expressed thoughts of an ill-thinking foolish woman and the blunt responses of the editorial team of a newspaper who weren't persuaded by her at all. It really is amazing to read a piece from Unity Midford where she elides right over the racial horrors of the Nazis in March 1939. How could she do that? as a British girl, to say nothing of her sister Diana, who was actually jailed a while for being such a rolled gold Nazi lover. Those two Mitfords were simply rotten, in my opinion. But they do make the Mitfords as a subject very interesting. OK, I'll be back on Sunday, 9pm Sydney time with a classic. And before I go, just quickly, can I say welcome to new listeners in Wyoming and North Dakota in the United States. 
Thank you so much for joining and I hope you stick around. There's lots of interesting episodes to enjoy and plenty more to come. And thank you to listeners who have shared this podcast. Nudie Reads is closing in on a full house in the United States. Listeners everywhere, just Delaware and South Dakota to go. If any of you know folks in either of those great states who enjoy great writing read aloud, please share the podcast. And in Canada, we are just Saskatchewan away from a full house of listeners in every province. If anyone knows Eric from Hand Tool Rescue on YouTube, he's up there in Saskatchewan, I think. I'd love to get some listeners up there and have a full Canuck house to join my American pals. But I am so grateful for each and every one of you listeners, wherever you are. I really can't say thank you enough, so I'll say grazie instead. And I hope you all have a great rest of the week. Until next time, take care. It's slippery out there. And thanks for listening to Nitty Reads. Nitty Reads.